I think before I start the sermon today, I want to acknowledge that as I've gone through Philippians, I used the commentary that was required for my seminary course in Philippians, and it was written by Gordon Fee. And if you don't know who he is, I'll just give you a quick summary. I thank God for him because so many people think that Assembly of God and Pentecostals are just uneducated people and poor scholars. Well, Gordon Fee is a spirit-filled, card-carrying Assembly of God member and also one of the greatest Christian scholars in America. And I've benefited greatly from his 300-plus page commentary on this letter. And I feel that I should at least acknowledge that. Uh, So you all have been blessed by him as much as me. And as we work through Paul's letter to his beloved church in Philippi, there's a diagram in the front of this commentary that we have not considered together about their relationship. And their relationship really illustrates what I would call God's triangle. And if you read the September Vestry Voices, it's kind of like my article about the threefold aspect of God's love, but it's a little different. So this triangle, of course, it has Christ at the top, God's anointed Messiah Savior who came to earth to save people. And if you go along the base of this triangle, over on the left-hand side, we have the church planning apostle Paul, who was at one time the persecutor of God's church. And then over on the other side of the triangle, we have this church in Philippi. So that's the base of the triangle, this wonderful relationship that they have with each other. But over on the left-hand side, this side of the triangle is Paul's new relationship with Jesus Christ. When God miraculously converted him as he was on his way to Damascus. And I think most of us know that story. So you've got this line connecting Paul up to Jesus Christ. And on the other side, you've got the line of this church who has now become converted to have faith in Jesus Christ, life-giving, life-changing faith, and they've got their relationship. So there's this triangle, and right in the center of it was the center of the Apostle Paul's life. He was focused on one thing and one thing only, the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. So, again, I don't have it on any inserts, but you can kind of imagine that triangle, and that sums up everything. This gospel had changed, Paul saw, from persecutor to someone now commissioned to bring this gospel. And this whole letter, as I've said from the beginning, reveals this mutual friendship of love between the Apostle Paul and the church. And because of his love for them, again, I I missed this in the course that I took where we studied the whole thing phrase by phrase for 13 weeks. Um, The Apostle Paul says to them, um, he wants them to grow 
in the joy and the faith of the gospel. That's 127. And I now agree with Gordon Fee. That's the theme of the whole letter. We are to grow in the faith, the faith of the gospel. Continue to grow, not stop. So in this passage, which we heard read this morning, he reminds them that they supported him financially from the very first day they heard the gospel. And Luke writes about this. You can read it in Acts 16. The support began with Lydia, who was a woman in a prayer group that was along the river. There might have been as many as 10 women there, but they didn't have enough for a synagogue. There weren't 10 men, but her heart was opened when Paul presented the gospel to these women. And then later, later, when Paul and Silas had been thrown in a prison, there was a miraculous earthquake And as a result, the jailer and his whole family were converted to the faith. And then Luke ends this account with Lydia, this very wealthy woman and dealer in purple. They're gathered at Lydia's house, the beginnings of the church. They were all house churches back then. So Lydia being wealthy was surely part of those first contributions. Now, this passage that we're considering, and we went over it, like I said, in detail without looking at the context a few weeks ago, it's right in the middle of a three-part conclusion of the last words that Paul wants this beloved church of his to know. The first part that's before this is he's acknowledging their gift given, and he said, you haven't supported me financially in a while because you haven't had opportunity But now that you have the opportunity to support me, you're supporting me while I'm a prisoner in Rome. And oh yeah, by the way, he gives them a little lesson and he transforms the philosophy of Stoicism. I was raised by Stoic parents and I was taught that no matter whether things are good or bad, you just hang in there and do your best. But guess what? We can't. Sooner or later, the pressures are such that we break. But Paul says to them, in Christ, when we are in Christ and he is in us, it doesn't matter to us whether we're having great success or we're going through trials. And now this passage, I can sum it up before we dig in deeper. He's acknowledging their fellowship in his suffering. And it's a continuation of their long history of being the only church to support him financially. But he says, it's not the money that I'm really seeking. I appreciate it and I thank you for it. But I'm seeking fruitfulness that will increase to your account. Implicitly, this is your account with God. And then thirdly, in a verse that many Christians have memorized, he writes that their gift has filled him and that God will repay them by supplying their needs all to the glory of God. So in light of this, we will now examine this passage in detail. And and there's two parts to it, mostly one, but there's a one-sentence conclusion to it all. So he starts out by saying they did well to have fellowship with Paul in his affliction, and they were the only church to share financially in his preaching 
the gospel. And as I reread Fee's commentary, the gospel is mentioned more times in the four chapters of this letter than any letter that Paul wrote. And he says, nevertheless, you all have done well having shared with me an affliction. And this is a compound verb to have fellowship with. It's only about a half dozen times in Scripture. And the first time was way back in chapter 1 in the introduction to this letter. So he's hearkening them back to his prayer where he thanked God for their fellowship with him in the gospel from the first day so that they were fellows together in grace, in God's grace. Now, the word that he used for affliction here could also be translated tribulation. And it's the same word that's used by Jesus in Matthew 24 and by John as he describes the apocalypse in the last book of the Bible. This wasn't just, oh, what was me, I'm having a blue day. You know, he's, he's chained to soldiers in Rome 24-7. That's what he's dealing with. But then he goes on to say, but you Philippians also know that in the preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, only you, only you shared with me financially. So again, phrase by phrase, you also have known Philippians. This is about the only time he gets very formal with them. You have known, people of Philippi, that in the first preaching of the gospel, at which time I went out from Macedonia, that was the northern Greek province, not one church shared in the matter of giving and receiving. Now, even before I went to seminary, one of my heroes was uh, John, the preacher who lived about 400 A.D., and he was in the area of what's now called Constantinople. And he was called in Greek, Chrysostom, which means golden tongue, because he was so articulate. And he commented on this sharing back and forth financially by saying, what a great eulogy. And for those of you that don't speak Greek, that means good word. What the Corinthians could have done had they been inspired by hearing this. But no other church took the lead before the Philippians acted. From the beginning of the gospel, they were already zealous on the saints' behalf. Even when they had no good examples before them, they were the first to bear fruit. Again, no wonder there was such a relationship between them and Paul. Now, if you read in Acts, staying in Macedonia, he left Philippi to go to Berea. And the people in Berea searched the word to verify Paul's message. This was the ones who, who believed. But there were many Jews who did not believe, and they had to hustle Paul out by night because of the danger to his life. And then he concludes and says, except for you all alone. And, and, and again, I think I used to ask my mother, 
Uh, is three your favorite number because of the Trinity and because of all the truths of God? And she would say, no, I just like the number. Well, for me, it is my favorite number for that reason. And when he says, you alone, again, think back to that love triangle, and it goes right back to some of the wisdom that's in the book of the preacher, Koholeth in Hebrew and Ecclesiastes in Greek, where he says a threefold cord is not easily broken. And what is a threefold cord? I used to watch soap operas and laugh because mathematically a triangle is the most stable plane figure. And we all know about human love triangles, right? Well, after I became a Christian, I realized that a marriage holds together when you've got a man and a woman bound together by love with the third party being Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. A threefold cord can't be broken. A wonderful relationship between two human beings is cemented by Jesus Christ. And that's what's going on here. And again, Chrysostom says, the principle by which they entered into this partnership was give useful gifts and receive back better spiritual gifts. You know how those who buy and sell hold conversation with one another to exchange their wares. This is what is happening here. There is nothing Nothing at all more profitable than this sort of buying and selling. It begins on earth, but ends in heaven. That's why this is so special. And then he says, because also in Thessalonica, once and twice to my needs you all sent. Now, let me give you a little geography and history lesson. Thessalonica was 95 miles east of Philippi. Now, the Romans had their own interstate highway system. Travel was very hard in those days, but in the words of Isaiah, they filled in the valleys and knocked down the mountains, and they had this wonderful stone-paved system where three could go abreast, and they could actually go 30 miles in a day. Now, that was speed in those days because it was difficult to walk on terrible terrain. But think about this. He said to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, "Um, I was with you for three Sabbaths. So what does that mean? He might have been there only 15 days. He was not there longer than 21 days or he would have had to be there for a fourth Sabbath. So... What happened was to send twice, it would have taken more than nine days. Six days for the first round trip, and then the people came back to their brothers and sisters in the church and said, our beloved apostle needs more support from us. So they would have had to raise that support and take another three days to go back. That's how committed they were. In a very short window, they gave twice to him while he was there. But then if you put this together with what Paul wrote in his second letter to the Thessalonians, yes, they supported him. He was grateful. He needed it. But he also said to the the Thessalonians, you know how I was among you. I was not a burden to you because with my own hands I did work. So by every means, Paul supported himself and was supported by others to bring the gospel to 
the people. And uh, I will read this last quote from Chrysostom about what's going on here. What great praise is this? When he was dwelling in the great capital city, he was being nourished by this little city in Philippi. He does not want to encourage them to be slack in generosity by telling them he has no needs whatsoever. All he has to do is indicate the bare outline of his needs. Oh, that we could be as generous with one another as this. Somebody just mentions in passing, I need something, not expecting anything. And we rush in to give them what they need. So the bottom line here is their partnership with Paul by sharing with him financially in his gospel preaching mission is the center of this love triangle I described at the beginning with Christ at the top and Paul in the church at the bottom. And Paul said in his introductory sentence to this paragraph, what they did when they did this, they were doing well. Here's a principle from this passage. Churches do well when they share in the preaching of the gospel. And we had our annual meeting last week and we heard about the missionaries this church is helping to support. And then he concludes this passage by saying, I do not seek the gift, but your increasing fruitfulness. Now the word he uses for seeking here means diligently seek. He's not just doing this half-heartedly. He's doing it with all his heart. But I am diligently seeking beyond this gift, increasing fruit into your account. Now, in this letter already, he said in the first chapter, the the first fruit he noticed in them was an increasing righteousness of Christ. They were becoming more righteous. And again, I've already said the purpose of this letter also in the beginning was that they would make progress in the faith. He's diligently seeking their increasing. And I had to Google this because I didn't do too well uh, when I was becoming an actuary in accounting. And the accountants and I used to joke. But I think this is kind of a double-entry bookkeeping. Uh, But in this case, it's like there's assets on both sides. So, So what's happening here is as their account is increasing in fruitfulness, we saw at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul was getting a reward for this. So on both sides of the ledger, there's a blessing from God. And beyond that, he says, as they hold fast to the word of life, they're doing this and being blessed. Paul's labor is not in vain. So it's almost like we're adding to both sides of the ledger, Paul and the church, Paul and the church, all the way down. And also, they were increasing and sharing the affliction of Christ on his cross. Affliction or tribulation was used at the beginning of this passage. It's used in chapter 1, and then he holds up Christ's work on the cross at the beginning of chapter 2 and says they should have this mind. And then um, he also said that by doing this, 
They also have Christ's resurrection life in them. I want to know Christ, the power of resurrection. Sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so as to at some time experience resurrection myself. So, they are also bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. And by living lives of love, that may lead to the fruit of others becoming new disciples in Christ. So as we come to the end of this passage, and then I have an updated application for us all before we close, but may we learn to accept suffering with Christ on his cross so that we will have increased fruitfulness in our church account as we encourage other people to become disciples of Christ. The bottom line is those who give while sharing in afflictions bear gospel fruit. So I think as we come to the end of what the Word says, the question we all have to ask ourselves is, what is fruitful gospel preaching or witnessing? And I think there's two elements to it. First of all, we need to live our lives today in this three-way bond of the love triangle. The gospel of Christ does not change. And we heard in this letter that the members of the church in Philippi, they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven while they are living on earth. May the same be true of us. And then Jesus said in the gospel, the gospel of Matthew, that the kingdom of heaven is advancing by force, by the force of God's spirit behind it we too can be joined to the king working with others in Christ's church to promote the gospel. Jesus um, described that. They didn't understand it, but described it on earth. And how is this done? Paul described it when he wrote to the church in Philippi, when the whole church works together, led by pastor, teachers, evangelists, and others to build up the church. And then when God's people are using these gifts of the Holy Spirit as uh, Christ has given to them as part of his body, we need to use our gifts. Now, I'm not going to go into everything about spiritual gifts, but let me just tick through six of them. There's the gift of wisdom. What is wisdom? It is correctly applying God's word to our lives, to our everyday lives. Faith. What is faith? Faith motivates us to pray for God's will to be done. Healing. I think that's self-explanatory. Miracles. There are miracles that are happening, and if we listen to Christians overseas, there's far more than what we're seeing in America. And then um, there's prophecy. There are people that speak prophetic words. You you can't put it as scripture, but sometimes God reveals to his people what's going to happen in the future, and it happens. And he also gives them a word so that they can live wisely 
And then sixthly, it's in Romans, there is the gift of financial giving, which is what our passage is all about, and which is what prompted Paul to write this letter to the Philippians in the very first place. And then uh, finally, we must all know Jesus and his gospel so that we will share him with other people in words and deeds. Now, there's probably over a hundred ways to present the gospel, but this is what I want us to consider this morning. It's just the basic outline. We're all born spiritually dead. We are unable to love God with all that is within us. That's the first and greatest commandment. We can't do it on our own. But in love, God sent his son. We confessed it in our um, creed. Born of a virgin mother, he lived a perfect life. He paid the penalty of death when he died on the cross, an acceptable sacrifice because we do not obey God's great love commandment. Now, if we humbly receive his sacrifice by faith, we can be forgiven. But the gospel does not end there. Jesus also rose from the dead, and he makes his resurrection life available to us, a possibility for all who receive him in surrendered, obedient faith. Hear that all. You know, it's not just faith to say, I believe in my head all this stuff. We must surrender all. We must obey by faith. But when that happens, and I remember when this happened to me, I still remember the day. I'll tell my testimony later. I won't do it now. But God brings our dead spirits to life. And then his Holy Spirit comes in, lives with us. His spirit with our spirit, we know it. We know it deep in our soul. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and live by the word he inspired. I remember all of a sudden things that I never understood in the Bible before I began to understand and confess my sins and pray. And then God began to change my heart, and the way I lived. This working of God in us was described in Philippians 2. God works in us when we cooperate with him. So, may we desire to participate in God's gospel mission using our spiritual gifts, and may we commit to obey This command that we will also be faithful financial stewards, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, stewards are required to be faithful. So those who give while sharing in afflictions, and it's never easy to do God's will, they will bear gospel fruit. And then let me close. I won't turn to the, the actual passage, but in the upper room, Jesus said something in John 15, which we need to consider. This is the second part of fruitful gospel ministry. If we remain in the love of Jesus, we can keep his commandments and remain in God's strong, life-giving, life-changing love. The obedience of love. How do we know that we really love God? 
because we obey God's command as a response to his wonderful love to us in Jesus Christ. This obedience of faith is the demonstration to others and ourselves that we have come to know him. And then Jesus says, if you do this, my joy will make, I will make your joy complete. So Jesus gives us his joy by the Holy Spirit. And joy is one of the four themes of Philippians. Then we're commanded to love one another as Jesus loved us. How did he love us? He died for us. So this sacrificial love, remember, Christ's love suffers for others. So we can expect that we will have suffering as we partner together to bring this gospel to other people. This, too, is one of the themes of Philippians. And then finally, Jesus says his disciples are now his friends. They have been chosen to bear fruit that will remain. And when they ask the Father in prayer to be fruitful, he will give them fruitfulness. Jesus says, whatever you ask, my Father will do for you according to his will. So he says, you're not servants anymore. You're friends. Faithful obedience to Jesus takes those who would be merely his servants and turns them into his friends. And he says, you've been chosen to bear fruit. God chose us that we would witness to all people that they may hear Jesus' word and believe in the one who sent him and pass over from death to life. That's why I put it in the pastoral prayer this morning. By most accounts, and we know it from living in this country, nine out of ten people need to cross over from spiritual death to life. Our nation is in dire straits. But we can do this with persevering prayer. Jesus says, you can ask my Father for anything in my name and he will do it. Let's continue to pray without giving up. So what's the bottom line of this message? What's the bottom line of Philippians? What's the bottom line of what God wants for us? Let us all seek God in prayer in order to be fruitful citizens of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. We will be fruitful when we unite even in suffering to advance the gospel so other people can cross over from death to life as they hear the word of Jesus and fully surrender to him in faithful obedience. You see, those who give, give in any way using what God has already given us while sharing in affliction, even in tough times like we're living in, God says we will bear gospel fruit. So, let's sum up this passage and let this be how we choose to live our lives. The church in Philippi has done well to share in Paul's affliction. And from the beginning of the gospel there in Philippi, even as soon as he left them, they were the only church to support him financially. But he closes by saying that's not the most important thing. He's not seeking just money, but fruit increasing to their account. May God give us fruitful lives as his church. And if we give 
If we give while sharing in affliction, we're all in this together, people. But if we give back to God, we will bear gospel fruit by the power and love of His Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.